Welcome to After Hours, an interview podcast series from Lady. I am Laura McClaus Helms, a fashion and cultural historian. Part of what led me to become a fashion historian was my obsessive love of late 1960s and early 1970s British fashion. Collecting from an early age, I wanted to learn everything about the designers I loved. The long-forgotten stores I read about in old issues of Vogue and Harper's and Queen, and the models who adorned their pages. The most evocative face of that period belonged to Ingrid Boulting, who is often referred to as the Biba girl due to the Biba perfume ads she starred in. With bright blue, wide-set eyes and a perfect Cupid's bow pout, Ingrid appeared angelic and otherworldly. My interest in Ingrid stemmed first from her beauty, but as I started to research her many years ago, a much greater depth began to be revealed to me. A ballerina, a model, an actress, a mother, a yoga teacher, a business owner, a painter, an animal lover, a trauma survivor, Ingrid truly exemplifies the type of person I have sought to talk with in this series. Someone who molds and creates the life they desire in the face of ups and downs and veers off the path. We sat down together last month in her beautiful sunlit yoga studio in Ojai, California. Born in Transvaal in South Africa in 1947, she was raised by grandparents for several years before moving to London to join her mother, stepfather, and new half-siblings. A delicate child, Ingrid studied ballet at the Royal Ballet School, where she was discovered by a fashion editor at 14. From ballet, Ingrid shifted her focus to studying acting, with modeling a way of making a living. A favorite of Richard Avedon, David Bailey, and Sarah Moon, Ingrid appeared in all the international editions of Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Seventeen, and many other magazines and ad campaigns. After acting in some B-movies, she was cast as Kathleen in the movie adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's unfinished novel, The Last Tycoon, in 1976. Starring Robert De Niro, The Last Tycoon was directed by Elia Kazan and written for the screen by Harold Pinter. It was a commercial and critical failure, and Ingrid's acting career came almost to a halt. From the late 1960s, she had studied meditation and yoga as a method of grounding herself in the midst of the craziness of the fashion and film worlds, but by the end of the 70s, she sought a true escape. With her second husband, she moved first to upstate New York and then to Taos, New Mexico, before finally settling in Ojai, an hour north of Los Angeles. As a single mother in the early 90s, Boulding became a yoga teacher before opening her own yoga studio, Sacred Space. She also started actively pursuing her childhood love of painting. Today, she continues to paint and teach yoga, living a quiet, serene life with her many rescue animals. Still an incredibly beautiful woman today, what is most powerful about Ingrid is her quiet strength. She speaks softly, but with surety, and has constructed her life exactly as she wants it to be. Her studio is advertised solely by word of mouth, and it focuses more on alignment and healing versus the strenuous workouts often found in yoga studios today. She paints for the love of it and for the fulfillment she gains from it, not to sell. And she lives happily alone after decades of dealing with the projections placed on her by men. In this interview, we speak extensively about these projections and how throughout her life, people she met only cared about her looks and the fantasies they created about her based on these looks. In this deep, intimate discussion, we also talk about how she is healed from the trauma of abuse by both powerful Hollywood men and lovers. The media often portrays beauty as a secret to a happy and complicated life. But for Ingrid, beauty brought with it a fair share of pain, which she has had to work hard to heal. Unfortunately, the interview was cut off at one point, losing 20 minutes of the most intimate conversation, which we tried to recreate when we realized what happened. Other topics we discuss include this commercialization of yoga, the power of shadow work, and of course, her experiences in fashion and film. A warm and kind soul, I hope you'll come away equally as inspired by her resilience and grace as I was. Please head to our website to see images from throughout her career, clips from films, as well as a short article. Enjoy. Thank you so much for sitting down with me, agreeing to meet with me. You're most welcome. Thank you. 
as a fashion historian, I've come across your pictures in all of the magazines, you know, over the years, and then I'd seen, you know... You're too young. (laughs) Well, I'm very, like, since I was, like, a little girl, I was very into 70s fashion, I think, and started collecting the magazines Mm -hmm. and Ozzie Clark clothes. Amazing. And got very deep into it. Ozzie Clark. That's a memory. <laughs> and then I wrote a book on Thea Porter, the okay, designer. I saw that on your website, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I love Biba, and you were sort of like iconic Biba girl. I'd seen The Last Tycoon, and then your yoga career. And What I've been trying to do with all of these interviews is I'm talking to creatives about the winding paths that our lives take. It's never like you set out for one thing and you achieve it, and that's your life. It takes so many different forms, and how the decisions you make in your life mm-hmm. inform, inform where you're going. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very interested in sort of the fact that your life has been this sort of evolving, you know, it's gone through all these different iterations, but I saw that yoga had come up repeatedly throughout your life. I love that there was sort of this continuance throughout your career. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to sort of talk to you about everything. Okay. Born in South Africa? Mm-hmm. Johannesburg. I lived there, if you read in, in, on my website mm-hmm. a little bit, until um, <clears throat> I was seven with my grandparents. And... Uh, it was a wonderful childhood because we lived very much in nature mm-hmm. and it's very much like Ojai. I think that's why I like living here. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like South Africa to me. Um, of course, I, I moved to England because my grandparents were getting really old and so my mother who remarried and had lived in England for my childhood in Africa had a three other children, mm-hmm. so I moved basically into a whole new family that I didn't know, but they were my family. And then I went to the Royal Ballet School, mm-hmm. uh, trying to become, a, well, I was trying to become an aspiring dancer, but I just thought that the lifestyle, I thought there was more to life than just dedicating myself and probably being a pawn in the chorus or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's such a difficult life. Yeah, so I was always interested in art. Even in Africa, we had, um, my aunt was an artist. She was an actress and also an artist. So I was very intrigued by the way she would draw. And I tried to copy her and we had African art around the house. So my family was very much, you know, into the arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they were into, into politics as well because they knew people that were really involved with apartheid and I would hear as a little girl little conversations about you know people disappearing from their office and kind of horror mm-hmm. stories and and I saw what apartheid was doing in Africa and it kind of shamed me how white people would be treating black people so already I was already politically awakened at a very young age and um, I didn't know what to do about with all of that, you know, and I still don't know. I mean, today it's just a disaster. Mm-hmm. And Africa right now is such a disaster. Have you, did you go back once you left? I, I've been back three times mm-hmm. and probably won't go back again, but you never know. I have a brother in Botswana, a sister in Johannesburg, so a half-sister. I was there last, was it last year or the year before? It was beautiful. I was in Cape Town a lot, mm-hmm. and now Cape Town is in a drought, and they're actually mm-hmm. killing for water, I've heard. I don't know if that's true, but I'm sure there's a desperation that happens. We have a drought here too, you know, yeah. and um, 
with this global warming that Trump seems to totally be in denial about. We don't know what the weather changes are going to do. Very frightening. Yeah, I mean, I think London is on the list of uh, drought. There's uh, several cities that I saw. I don't know why Los Angeles isn't on it, but that was wrong. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so then uh, London, you want to me go, sort of go through my life a little bit. I was always drawing. So I really thought after I decided to give up ballet that I would want to go to uh, art school or mm -hmm. something. That didn't happen. Like you were saying, life has a way of steering you one way or the other. So I found myself um, in the Oxford Repertory Company, mm -hmm. um, doing little odd jobs, being assistant, little odd characters on the stage, and that was a lot of fun. I made friends with one of with, with some of the actors, and uh, you know, you become like a close family, and that led to some movie roles and TV and stuff. I was in Romania making a film called Last of the Romans with mm -hmm. Lawrence Harvey, who's a wonderful actor, and there were, you know, there were other actors, uh, even I met Orson Welles, he was in the movie, he was amazing. I decided to give up acting then, I, was, I think I was 20, 21, 20 I think. When I was about 12 I think, uh, Catherine Millionaire, she mm -hmm. was an editress for Queen magazine at the time. She was also um, an investigator, like a reporter. Yeah. And she came to the Royal Ballet and chose me um, to do a spread for the uh, for on an aspiring young dancer. And then from that, uh, people wanted to use me as a model. So I worked again for Queen. And some people came over from America and used me for something else. I can't remember what. Again, I didn't really want to be a model. Mm -hmm. So I continued kind of searching. Um, I ended up living in Paris. Her name is um, Moon, you know, Sarah Moon. Yeah. yeah she uh, kind of took me under her wing and let me live in her studio because she was living with her I don't think they were married, her, her partner. And I was living in her art, her studio in Montparnasse and working with mostly just her. I think then David Bailey had me go over to Fiji for uh, Africa and then Fiji for Vogue. And Eileen Ford had come to have lunch with me when I, I was doing a play in Brussels at the, the Royal Opera House there, a kind of experimental production of Tristan and Isolde. Mm -hmm. And I was Isolde. And Eileen flew in, had lunch with me, and said, would you sign up with my agency? And I didn't for a long time, because I didn't want to commit to modeling. But I, on the way back from the Vogue um, editorial with David Bailey, I, we st I stopped off in New York. And I thought, just check it out, you know? I called Eileen, she said, come over to the house. So I stayed with her for about a week, and then found my own apartment. Mm -hmm. And I was in New York from I guess 72 to 79 when I got pregnant with my daughter mm -hmm. and decided to leave the city. Always looking for nature. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I found actually New York very interesting. It was kind of like a jungle to me. There was a, something about Africa and the wildness of, of the place. I live right on Central Park, so I had that bit of nature there. I stayed and worked and then I, uh, I continued. I got, always continued my art just by myself mm -hmm. and my yoga so that's when I really uh, first went to yoga class when I first moved to New York 
and 72 uh, Dinanda. Mm -hmm. uh, his studio was on the west side, Upper West Side um, Integral Yoga Studio. Okay, yeah, but still, there's one downtown of it now. Yeah, yeah. there's still one. But before moving to New York, okay, so when I was about 18, I stopped ballet. I um, started meditating. Mm. I got uh, into TM, and I was, I was, I just felt yoga was something that was calling me, and I didn't know much about it, so I bought a book on it. And I started, you know, practicing by myself and loving it. So then I, when I was in New York, I was already a little bit familiar with mm -hmm. the poses. And then I went from there, there was another studio eventually called Serenity Studio, Mark, Mark Becker had. Mm -hmm. And that was a little more fun, it was a little more challenging and a more new agey. Mm -hmm. So I did that, yoga and art, and of course the modeling was supporting me. Did you enjoy modeling or was it just a job? I loved working with, with the really professional people. Yeah. You know, I, like David Bailey was fun, Avedon was wonderful, uh, Sarah Moon was really hard work because she was so specific and sometimes take a day to do a shot. You'd go mm -hmm. home and just want to cry because it's been so intense, you know, but she got her results. Mm -hmm. And people like Avedon, you would just... There was such trust going on between you and him and the camera that you it freed you up and that was really creative work. Were you interested in fashion? Did you spend time with other fashion people or you had your sort of other life? I sort of had this other life, mm -hmm. you know. When I was in London, I was more, like if we'd go to the ad-lib club, I was more with the movie people and the the Beatles would be sitting next to us and then the movie people. I don't know much about the fashion people there. They yeah. must have been. Um, and in New York, I think I went once to one of the nightclubs and it just freaked me out. <laughs> it was just too much. Everybody was so high and I, it was, my life was going in a different direction. I was really good friends with Halston, mm -hmm. with Barry Berenson. You know who was Halston? Yeah. yeah. So she was my dear friend, who, as you know, I, I I think about her so often. What she must have gone through in that first plane that went through the I King Towers. Ah, oh, I just have goosebumps right now. Yeah. Interestingly enough, my my uh, stepsister Victoria, she and Barry had the same rings made, and apparently Barry's ring was found amongst all the. Yeah, that's what she told me. Well, she's passed away now, too. Okay, so Barry, she was an important uh, role for me because we were having lunch. She said, oh, just come with me quickly to Vogue. I've got to drop off some film. So I said, sure. So I'm walking down the corridor, and I hear this voice saying, hey, you. And uh, I look, and it's Polly Mellon, whom I had worked for in London for something. And she said, are you free? Um, come, you know tomorrow at Avedon studio and yeah and so I was the next day in the Avedon studio and Ara Gallant was the hairdresser and um, we became instant friends mm -hmm. um, Ara had a way of taking you know under his wing a little bit and he also had some uh, <laughs> I think ulterior motive there um, because he always had these dinner parties and there were always movie stars mm -hmm. and rock stars there so in that only in that way did I stay connected more to the fashion mm -hmm. world and the movie world through Ara Gallant. 
Otherwise, I was living a very quiet life in New York, doing my art, and so I, that my first experience with Avajan was just wonderful, and we did this very wonderful spread that um, kind of launched my modeling career even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so eventually I did sign up with Eileen Ford. There was a wonderful theater going on in New York, and um, there's a guy called Jeremy Shaken, um, and he did ex you know little experimental productions, and Peter Brooks, he was a f very famous director. And I thought, God, you know, I've had this background. I've never been to acting school, never been to art school, but I, I have this desire, you know, to explore more in the theater. And I had a meeting with Peter uh, Brooks scheduled, mm. and I changed my mind. I thought, I, again, it's the same thing as being in the ballet. I, I didn't want to do that, so I signed up. I went to uh, study with Lee Strasberg mm. and the actor's school there. You know who he is, right? Yes, of He's course. like a famous... Uh, Method actor. Mm -hmm. And that was really good for me because I was, I'm an introvert, really. And the acting, this psychology of you know bringing you out and owning those parts of you that you don't want to sh that you hide and you don't mm -hmm. want to share. So psychologically, it was so fascinating to me, and and I was growing in heaps and you know freeing myself. So that led to the last I could. Gadge or Ilya Kazan had asked him if, if he thought I could do the role, of course he said I could. Yeah, he, you see this is a perfect story. I was doing a scene from um, uh, a John Osborne play that Mary Ewer had done the play and actually Mary Ewer and I became really good friends. She was married to the actor Robert Shaw so when she came to New York we spent a lot of time together and it was called, the play was called Look Back in Anger. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing this scene for Lee Strasberg, and afterwards there was silence. And I went, oh God. And he said, this is an example of somebody who has chosen the right career. Now, instead of me like blossoming from that, I cringed. Mm. <laughs> I went more, you know, I don't know. I, it's from my childhood. There was something that happened that I had, that caused me shame that shouldn't have, but. You know, we all go, we all have yeah. stuff like that had happened, abuse or things that make us not being able to deal with it at the time. Mm -hmm. And so through your life, eventually that stuff has to come up and out. Otherwise, you'll have a car crash or you'll get sick or, you know, the shadow has to yeah. surface. So did that make you pull away from doing acting or being so, or being as comfortable doing it? Uh, it made me more self-conscious. Yeah. It's crazy. It made me more self-conscious, mm -hmm. but I still wanted to pursue, you know, and um, so I'd heard the last tycoon was um, a girlfriend of mine, Susie Blakely, said you should go up for it, and John, um, Bob Evans was the producer mm -hmm. at the time, and I'd met him at a at a party in in was it Rome where I was doing the collections there, Eileen Ford threw a party, and I said you know what's happening with that movie. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to go up for the role. He said, oh, I'm not producing it anymore. Uh, Sam Spiegel is. 
So when I was in New York, I called Sam, who I'd met through Lawrence Harvey at some premiere that, uh, of a movie he produced. Not Lawrence Harvey, um, sorry, I'm mixing up names. Um, Tony Harvey, he was a film director. He had directed Line in Winter. Mm -hmm. okay, he had yeah. been first assistant to my father for a while. And um, I said to him, do you remember meeting me? Um, I would like to meet you about the role. He said, well, I think you're too young. I said, well, you, I think you should meet me anyway. So <laughs> I had, he said, okay, come on up. And I went to his office and Ilya Kazan was there and he took me to the other room and we did some improvisation and stuff. And I, uh, immediately with Ilya Kazan, I felt like with Avedon or Bailey, that comfort of the artist, understanding the artist and allowing. And so I, I allowed myself to be really vulnerable. And at the end of the uh, session, he said to me, you've got the role. He said, I just have to prove to other people, you know. So I did a couple of screen tests. The first one was apparently didn't work, but the second one did, and I got the role. And again, every time I've done a movie, it's been more about my life and maybe a line that I say in the movie mm -hmm. than it's what has been about anything else. And in the last tycoon, the line that I said a couple of times was, I want a quiet life. Because I think it's in a quiet life that you can access your connection to nature, that inner wisdom, your creative self, your inner power, mm -hmm. you know? So, and, and, and yoga really teaches that, where you can live a life of fearlessness, you know, and be truly yourself, which when you're acting, I, I felt like I was always having to be another character or, you know, sell myself mm -hmm. to producers or directors, I didn't like that. So I wasn't very good at auditions. I wouldn't give them myself. <laughs> and I mean, you must have felt quite disconnected from everybody else and a lot of the people in the industry who weren't sort of self, so self-reflective yeah. and connected. To yeah, I think so. I, I would take books, you know, and sit between scenes and, and think I could read and study and, and grow. But no, it's very hard on movie sets. It's really not a very glamorous career in the working of it. Mm -hmm. It's very uncomfortable. You're usually shooting in freezing cold weather as though it's summer and, you know, hiding cold sores and from stress, <laughs> things like that. I couldn't play the game. I think, in fact, somebody told me I was known in Hollywood as the girl who said no. I said no to, to producers and people that had violated me, you know, mm -hmm. there's I mean, I could go on a list with these women that are coming up and saying, you know, me too. So and so, yeah. you too, yeah. And um, and I am writing. I have written a book which I was going to shelve and not finish, but I might finish it. I might finish it. So. What is the? What are you covering in the book? A memoir, or what is it about? It is a memoir, yeah, and it's about healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing is, I don't. The part of me that wants a quiet life doesn't want to go out there and promote a book, mm. you know. So, but I've heard that Amazon just does that for you. You don't have to. There's a way you can do your own book through Amazon. Yeah, you can self-publish on Amazon. And then they actually do it for you. Seeing as I don't really care about being famous, yeah. it doesn't matter if the book sells or not. 
Yeah, and it'll, it'll find its way to the people yeah. who need it, I think is... Yeah, there's, there are ways to do the big publicity books, go to the big publishers, do yeah. the big publicity tours, but that's not Your important. Book, yeah. Did you do it with a big publisher? No. I did it with the V&A. Um, they have the museum in London. They have a publishing oh, wing. that's great. And so they take care of it. Yeah, I mean, they took care of the publishing and everything, but they... They didn't actually do the best job with the press. They never do. Looking back, I could have done more myself, but I was so busy at the same time doing an exhibition on Thea Porter at a museum in London yeah. that I was sort of distracted from it. But that's fine because it's out there and it's mm-hmm. meant to be a resource. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. for people to mm-hmm. want to learn about her. They will find the book. Yeah, and that's very true. That's yeah, trusting. That's trusting mm-hmm. the universe. But when you did the last tycoon, how was the filming? How did you enjoy working with everybody? Or yes, I did. I did. I had a hard time with that character, and with uh, Eli Kazan's direction. And mm. in his book, he says, just for the whatever, um, Ingrid did exactly what I wanted her to. He wanted this character to be even keel. These were his words, like even keel, just floating through the movie and so the audience had to reach to try and understand her and I mean I still get emails today from people saying what a wonderful way you portrayed her but Ilya Kazan when I was in New York at his office before he passed away he said there's a box up there two boxes full of letters to Pinter asking him to develop your character there was just one scene, which I think was the love scene, where I felt a little more free to just be more who I felt she was. Yeah. But, again, I was playing myself because I had been trusting of a powerful man mm-hmm. in my life who had violated me. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is the same, the same character that I was playing in Kathleen. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I want a quiet life. You, to heal, to, you know, to let all of that come to some understanding and personal power back, because you basically, your power gets usurped, you get split, mm-hmm. and so you, how do you heal that split? So we all get broken apart in one way or another, you know? Yeah. That's just life, and it's how we put ourselves back together again, and this there's such wisdom there for us. There's wisdom from the ancient teachings uh, of yoga that an, an amazing recipe for a healthy, happy, healthy life of well-being. And there's also people like Jung or mm-hmm. Robert Johnson, people that have dedicated their lives to understanding the psychology of you know, the masculine, the feminine, and, and how we project onto each other unhealthy our society is it's all about projection mm-hmm. when you were trying to sort of heal yourself at this time how did like see obviously yoga and the meditation and reading is that when did you actually sort of take a step away and really devote yourself to, to that to healing okay. and to a quiet life yeah well I realized that in the movie business I couldn't really do it because it was all about projection mm-hmm. I mean, I think Marilyn Monroe died because of all the projection onto her, that kind of thing. But 
I had done, I was in New York doing a soap opera because I'd never experienced soap opera and I thought it'd be so interesting to challenge myself to work when they change the lines to you at the last moment mm -hmm. and they put them on board so I can't do that. If I'm reading I can't act so I'd have to, and I was so dyslexic, that's where acting really helped me as well, learning lines because I would reverse things. And so out of, I learned that out of chaos, I could get clarity. So relaxing and letting the chaos be okay, mm -hmm. I could get, get it right. Um, and so I proved myself for about three months to do this soap opera, opera and then I, fin I came back to California and my, there was a new agent at my agency and he called, he wanted me to go up on this role. It sounded so uninteresting to me, you know, and at some point my life was more important than the money, the, the quality of my life. And I told him, I'll call you back, I'll think about it. And I called him back and I said, I don't, I'm not interested in that role. It, it's for some Swedish sexy meatball type character and that's just not what I want to portray. And he said, well, I only want to work for women who want actresses who want to work. And he put the phone down on me. And I thought, I put the phone down, and I thought, fine. And that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, also I was a mother, mm -hmm. you know, my daughter. And then I was married to my second husband when we moved to Ohio. When did you move? To Ohio in the mid-80s. And so Cheney, she went to school here. It was lovely for children to raise children here. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Magical. And it, it, it changed. It was like a little village, you know, now LA is moving up here and it's becoming very crowded. It's changed a lot. In one sense, that's good because there's nice restaurants. Before there were no right nice restaurants or good ones. Mm. One tiny little health food store when I first moved here. And um, I think in nine, it was in 1992. Well, in LA, when I was living in LA in the early 80s, I moved from New York in 1979 to Taos, New Mexico, mm. um, because Harrisburg was threatening to melt down the nuclear reactor. And scientists, friends of ours said, and physicists, if it does melt down, you would regret not moving west because of the meltdown, the radiation to form babies. So I had a friend in Taos, he said, come and stay with us. And I fell in love with the mountains there, the mountains here, so peaceful and calm. So I bought a little house there um, outside of Taos. It was called the Rivera of Taos. And I had a home birth there, okay, home birth with Cheney. So I married about five years, and then we were sort of growing in different directions. So I came back to LA, and Alan moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was, that um, was after the last haiku. So I was trying to pick up a career again to earn a living, and doing commercials, a little bit of modeling, you know, a little bit of TV work, and a horrible B-movie, <laughs> and that led to eventually the, that movie. But again, that B-movie I did in Africa was about meeting my family there that I didn't really know, because I left when I was seven. So that was all about that, really. And So I came back here, and then I did that uh, 
thing in New York, and we moved to Brewster, New York, uh, no, to um, Woodstock, New York, mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And from there, I came here. The early 90s, I, um, I had a friend that I met. He was I started yoga when he was 68, Frank White. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a four-pack-a-day smoker, obese, alcoholic. He was dying. And um, that's when he started yoga. I met him when he was in his 70s. And he was a whole different person. I mean, he said yoga not just retards the aging process, it, it uh, not stops it, 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 it reverses it, absolutely. Look at me. He was like the mighty mouse of yoga at, in 78 or something. And um, <clears throat> he says, Inky, Inky, you've got to become a yoga teacher. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll go and do the certification. So I did that, and I rented a little space in oh, uh, First of all, in a friend's uh, garage that they had converted into a yoga studio, so I started teaching there, a little place in town. And then I had a huge studio and a warehouse. Um, and we had circus classes and swinging from the ceiling, things like that. Um, and then Malcolm McDowell was gonna, the actor was gonna buy that studio to put his cars in. I know, so I started looking for another space and I found this. It was terrible, horrible carpets, floor uh, crooked, two rooms. So he allowed me to take the wall down and <clears throat> create my yoga studio up here. Yeah, and then I really started seriously painting. Um, and that led to me studying with uh, an artist called Carlos Grasso. I heard that Carlos had studied with a modern master called uh, David LaFell. Mm-hmm. And he's amazing and, uh, and I thought, you know, go to the root, go to the classics. Like I had done with ballet, you know, from ballet I went to jazz. I'm kind of reversing art. I went from doing more um, impressionistic painting to a more focused, um, called Chiara School, mm-hmm. the Italian style of shadow and light. And seeing I'm so interested in shadow work, you know, and I see there's so many shadow players in, uh, in our world, especially in politics and movie business. And it's sort of yoga art, I call it, yoga and art, yoga art. And have you, have you found those, that new path more fulfilling? Yeah, very satisfying because I wasn't trying to be something or somebody else, you know, I'm really uh, just who am I and what is my dharma here? Mm-hmm. What is my purpose? Yeah, you're definitely less of a pawn than you are as like a fashion mm-hmm. model or an actress mm-hmm. where you, it's these mm-hmm. other people, overlords, sort of mm-hmm. deciding what you're doing. Yeah, and then they're my own boss, you know, I have my own business mm-hmm. and it's simple, I keep it really simple. I don't have, it's not like yoga works, I, 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 I don't have, people kind of have to find me more, that I'm on the internet, I get Yelp and Google, they constantly email me and calling me saying you're not how you should be, and I just don't respond to them. Because <laughs> I find word of mouth is, is much truer. So um, it's just such a healing force, and if I can share that, 
What are your thoughts about how yoga's changed since, especially since the 70s? I mean, this sort of blossoming of it. That's a good subject. Well, when I first started teaching yoga, people would say, you can't call it yoga because people will think it's some kind of esoteric religion or something. And I thought, well, what could I call it? I thought, no, it is yoga. Go call it yoga. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful how yoga has spread over the whole world, even in Africa. I mean, in remote places, people are know the word yoga and there's a practice. Unfortunately, what I've seen is that, you know, yoga in India and in the East was more about from the feminine, which is a nurturing healing force, and it is about dissolving the ego or the, you know, and, and accessing higher spiritual aspect of who you yeah. are. But in the West, it's changed. In the West, it's about getting somewhere. and It's a, a lot about feeding the ego, I see. I go to LA, I used to go to LA to classes. I don't anymore. It's just... About getting them into the most difficult poses and being... Yeah, it's like yeah. It's much... That's why I've always... I've liked, I enjoy yoga, but I've always had trouble like just popping into a class and... Uh, just, I feel very disconnected usually from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think or a lot of people sensitive could be feel very self-conscious in a class like that or mm-hmm. out of place if they, you know, haven't. Um, and then I see a lot of people getting really injured. If I'm in a class, I see, oh my God, they're just going from one post to the other. They're out of alignment. My daughter got a really bad shoulder. Um, I did too at the very beginning, just doing flow and ashtanga without somebody really explaining upper arm bone in shoulder joint, you know, inverting mm. the arm, really having the right alignment. And you have the right alignment in your body, then you, you have that alignment, right left brain, you know, you get alignment in your mind too. Um, <clears throat> your whole being becomes more balanced. So, the injuries that are happening is giving yoga a bad name. You know, back in, back injuries, knee surgeries, hip surgeries, even yoga teachers getting hip surgeries and stuff because they probably you know not working with strengthening around the joints while they're stretching that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but trying to get somewhere. And so and then unfortunately, what's happening in the West. Which is more like patriarchal, you know, power yoga, strength. Um, that's sort of slowly being, uh, I've heard, taken to the east now, to India and places like that. I mean, there is a wonderful way that the West has <clears throat> has given a language to yoga. Even Pema Chodron in Buddhism and has given a language to understand Buddhism more, I don't know if you know Pema mm-hmm. Chodron, and then Eckhart Tolle, the way he has, you know, made the philosophy of yoga more understanding to people in the West, so all of this, so much good. I started with just Hatha, <clears throat> and I did some Chinese yoga, which is, um, a, you know, more like moving in, like massaging yourself deeper into the poses, okay. you know, bouncing, and... <clears throat> the Shalom monks 
they get really flexible by just bouncing themselves deeper into the poses. I did that uh, with a guy called Yogi John in Venice, California. And uh, then I did uh, Ashtanga yoga and, and flow. I studied with Shiva Ray at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and she's such a big star now. It's like, you know, when they teach with a, with a uh, microphone in the class, it loses a, a quality for me. I don't go there anymore. Then I started checking out uh, Iyengar. You know, I thought Iyengar was boring at the beginning because I think a lot of people that do flow and move and they get that energy moving would think that these poses that you hold are boring, but no, they're not because you move the inner energy and and you still do flow. I still do flow. So that's why I do, and I do Kundalini. I, I like to do the blend of all of that I love from the different yogas. But the Iyengar, the alignment I think is so important mm. it's so important it healed my body from dancing from injuries that I had and from misalignment you know we all have one leg longer and hip problems and, and how we stand and sit in our daily life and just that awareness in the body is what Iyengar teaches mm -hmm. how do you think your dance background informed your yoga and all of your I mean I guess yeah did you use it in modeling and how I mean and all of that I think naturally uh, ballet gave me a you know a feeling of a lift which Iyengar talks a lot about you know a lot of people um, our daily life is all about rounding our shoulders closing if, you know, dropping the ribs to the pubic bone, closing the psoas, the hips, the way we sit all the time, everything is rounded forward. You see older people and they, they have a weak upper back, so they round it, their necks go forward, their legs go externally rotated, and you know, it's just what happens with aging. So dancing, I think, reverses that. Um, definitely yoga reverses that because you do the back bends, you do constantly lifting the spine and strengthening the muscles to support the spine. Mm. That's your nervous system housed by your spine. So um, I think the ballet, uh, yeah, there's a certain feeling that stayed with me from dance. And I'm still, I, I'm good at any kind of ballroom dancing or rock and roll or you know I had hip-hop classes at my old studio <laughs> she was so cute yeah so I think uh, in yoga the ballet uh, is that beautiful extension that you get in dance that you can then bring into into the yoga that feeling of the energy moving and lifting you and moving and lifting you and flowing because yoga is really about energy accessing the chronic body yeah. and being able to surrender in the pose, let go in the pose and enjoy who you are in the moment. Yeah. That must inform your painting work, the fact that you've connected so deeply with yourself. Uh-huh. It's a meditation. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I put a still life, a piece of metal, like a Buddha, some fruit, like a broken up pomegranate or some cherries, <clears throat> some cloth, 
all these different textures. And I think, oh my God, how do I begin to do that, you know? Because I, I haven't really had a classical training in art. I don't really understand some of the language they use in art. <clears throat> Took me a long time to understand temperatures and things like that. I'm so confused in my dyslexic mind about that. So really it's about <clears throat> letting go and just starting and something else takes over it's, it's miraculous and then you look at the next day you either see the problems that you can correct or you go oh my god how did that happen <laughs> and have you had gallery shows of your work I used to have a gallery in Ventura she closed down so I, I did sell work out of there mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm I, I, I'm part of the Ojai studio artists so in October, there's a tour when people come to town and they come to our studios. And in May, there's a mini tour. So every little section of Ojai where there are artists, people will come. So then they come. And, um, you know, I, I wait if somebody wants to do a show. I'm, I'm collecting work right now. Mm -hmm. I have a painting at the Ojai Museum. If you go there while you're here, Definitely. you'll see it's an interesting it's the Ojai Studio Artists have a, an exhibition mm -hmm. at the museum um, and it, a lot of it had to do with the fires and things that happened here in Ojai which was so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Some people losing their houses. <clears throat> the air was so bad, everything was black with the ashes, the animals, mm. you know, nature. I mean the spring is so beautiful after what people we all went through with the fires. I saw the fire coming over Black Mountain and my house is over there. I was up till three in the morning looking. It was exciting, you know. I couldn't go to sleep because it's like, whoa. I could see over Thatcher's school, flames blaring up. So the next morning, um, I looked at the sky. I got a photograph. It was all golden, orange, red with flames. And I put my seven dogs in the car and I started to load up my cats because I res have rescued these animals and the cats couldn't I thought what do I do with cats in a hotel room they or in the car and they need I thought they're gonna have to fend for themselves if the fire comes into town and so I left up drove up to um, Pismo Beach mm -hmm. and there, there was a hotel that would take animals they didn't know I had seven dogs they thought I had two dogs, so I had to be very discreet about taking them out to pee and everything, but I don't know where that's leading to, the nature, the fires, we're here now, and uh, you think about moving when stuff like that happens, but I had people leave Ojai and they come back, and some people want to be here, but the mountains just spit them out, they can't you know, it's like I think that the mountains, the energy here either keeps you, you stay, because I've tried to move, or you can't stay. You must feel much more at peace here than when you were living in New York and London. Yeah. Especially well, if you're interested in mm -hmm. nature. It's mm -hmm. uh, well, we had a house in the south of France, so in holidays we'd go there. So that's also very much like this, a little village. Mm -hmm. We were the only English family there. 
When I went there last year, I saw one person who had been there since he was two years old, and he said, nobody owns the houses here anymore. They're all tourists. They're, I mean, they're all like vacation homes. Mm. So it wasn't a village anymore. The peasants were there, not there anymore. It was really sad yeah. and, oh, and crowded and you know, touristy. So it's ruined. The south of France is ruined. It's high rises. It's just sad what's happened there, and I'm so lucky that I experienced it when it was still nature and wild and beautiful and Cezanne mm -hmm. country. Yeah, wow. yeah. So uh, when I lived in New York, um, I, w I I had a house, I rented a house in Brewster, New York. So I always had to get out of the city. Nature was always calling me. So in LA, I always. Even though it felt very nature there, I lived a block from the ocean. I loved that. Nature called. Oh, I called. Uh, I moved to Woodstock, New York. You know, it's a, and I found myself uh, Taos, New Mexico, always living in these uh, vortexes, the energy centers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how many cats do you have? I have six left. I oh. used to have eight cats. Yeah, two of them died, passed away last year. And I lost a little dog about two months ago, yeah. That's sort of my dream, that many cats, but... Um, you can have a couple of Siamese cats, you can have if you want, they're wonderful. I've got two, I think my, if I turned up with more, arrived back in New York with more cats, my boyfriend would be very unhappy about it. Do you um, find them on the streets there? I used to find little kittens on the street. I mean, both of, well, one of them was, I got from an ex-boyfriend yeah. many years ago, mm -hmm. 12 years ago, and then I adopted one last year from... He'd shelter. been, a, yeah, from a shelter, but he'd actually been abandoned yeah. outside of my vet a block away from my apartment. It just <laughs> happened, you know, extracuitously mm -hmm. like, got yeah. um, I always had cats in New York, and I had one dog when I was living in New York. It's nice to escape the craziness of yeah. the city and come home to I these loving... I say that animals are like, um, like sponges. They mm -hmm. absorb the frenetic negative or, you know, your stress. <sighs> little shock absorbers. You've mentioned the shadow work a couple of times. What's been the most healing for you? I mean, and how do you feel healed from the sort of the trauma you mentioned? Do you feel like you've now come to a better place? Of yeah, time? it takes time. It takes a lifetime, really, to to get the insight to see what you can really see about yourself. Mm -hmm. And then there's always more that you can't see. That's why it's so such an interesting journey. You can never be bored. Um, you know, talking about projection, since I was little and I experienced that projection onto me from, uh, from men, I guess some from women too, and not seeing me for who I really was. Mm -hmm. And that goes on because of my energy or something and people, their unmet selves will latch onto somebody else and project onto them their feminine or their masculine that they haven't healed themselves. And um, yeah, it's, it's more in this culture because there's not that romantic love in, in, in the East. You know, people often are just, yeah, you marry this person or they arrange marriages mm -hmm. and things and they work. People, there's a human love that happens. 
it's, yeah. it, it's not a projection of the other expectation of the other person to be somebody for something. So it comes more out of a neediness. And um, I mean, people can get over that hump to the real human qualities. But I see it all over. There's, there are people that have wonderful relationships, so it is possible. Takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. but and then then it, it really shouldn't because if you do your own inner work and you hold yourself yeah. and you find somebody who's done their inner work and they hold and you come together, there's tremendous freedom mm-hmm. and you have that support. I say it's like icing on the cake. I'm the cake, you know. And then if to, I was just in a, a relationship with this person that was my very first boyfriend so it was so romantic and the thought of coming together and we were for two years but he couldn't stop that projection onto me all from then on he's had this love for me that's been a projection and it suffocated me it suffocated me and 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 his life is not it's dysfunctional where he's come from he lives in Canada right now Toronto it's very dysfunctional situation up there in his life, and I can't have that come down here, you know. So I'd be I'd be very strong mm-hmm. because on many levels there were some wonderful things, but where it matters to me, you know, on a human level, and a spiritual level, psychic level, I can't go there. I, have to, yeah. I mean, it's going back to sort of the idea of the quiet life, not. Allowing yes. that drama in. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting how, I mean, you mentioned this, how sort of parallel it is with Kathleen. All of these men are they're yeah. projecting so much on her. Yeah. And she um, goes off and has her quiet life. And when she had this opportunity to be with a very wealthy man who would take care of her needs, take care of things, you know. So um, that was kind of my situation again. Yeah. And I had to again say no. I have to say no. <laughs> and it's my growth, what's my growth there too? You know, Seeing more how the patterns repeat themselves, the patterns in our life until we really just say no, not anymore. I've always been interested in, well, not always, but for like the last 10 years in young and sort of shadow work and also bring that into yoga. So yoga is yeah. deep shadow work with, if you pre- with that intention of practicing. Yeah. I'll have to go back to New York and try some more yoga classes because I have Is a... Alan Finger still there? I don't know. Alan Finger would be somebody I would study with if I were you. Okay. He was from South Africa originally and he was a teacher here. And then I don't know who the Iyengar teachers are there. Iyengar for alignment and stuff. When I was little in London I went to the, the Iyengar studio was down the street from us. Oh, good. But I haven't actually done that. Was a long time ago, and yeah. I haven't done it since then. I think because what you you know exactly what you said, like this idea that it's boring. Even hatha seems boring to most people yeah. now. They're so yeah. used to vinyasa flow and yeah. power yoga. Yeah. yeah. I always liked. My mother had this book by Richard Hittleman. Yeah. Um, and I used <laughs> to do that when I was like the original seventies book. I just used it over and over again when I was growing up, and I still. Whenever I'm like, I'm just going to try and practice at home, take that back out. Yeah, home practice is so lovely. Yeah, and once you start, never stop. (laughs) I give you that gift. Really, once you start, never stop. Just make group. You see, I put yoga at the top of my intentions for my life. 
because I knew all the gifts that he has. Mm -hmm. Just not just. Also, I was quite sickly as a child. I had constant chronic pneumonia, bronchitis. My lungs were not healthy, and then living in London didn't help. We lived right on the King's Road, and all those taxi fumes and bus fumes. So I've healed myself through yoga, physically. And then the other stuff came from yoga, you know, the emotional healing, the taking your power back, the, the, the sh shedding the layers of illusion that you create to be liked, to be accepted, all of that. The addictions, you know, any smoking, coffee, that stuff just melts away. Anything that doesn't support you to have a healthy life drops away eventually. So it's not like you have to discipline yourself to do this stuff. Um, the Iyengar, unfortunately, a lot of the teachers that came here get very, they're very militaristic, and that's not fun. That's not, that's boring to me, people like that. Some people love it and need that kind of strictness and discipline. I would shy away from it, but mm -hmm. But the, if you can find a teacher that nowadays, I think they, lot, some teachers are coming more from the flow and the other yoga and doing the Iyengar, so they uh, a little freer and you know, they won't scream at you if, you if you've modified the pose or do a pose that your body wants to do at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, in the old days you would be like, sit, you know, like, you can't do that. It's, what do you think you're doing? So in that way, things are changing. To me, yoga, depending on the intention with which you practice, is powerful shadow yeah. work. Owning your own shadow. You know, beginning, beginning to see what you can really see or what went under, what went into the basement. You know, can you open the door and let the light in and free up that powerful energy that's been held down in the darkness in the basement, things you couldn't deal with as a child or as a teenager or as a grown-up, you know, that was too uncomfortable and painful. And um, to really, yoga teaches you to be the witness, to have a witness so that you can air out these emotions that are so painful and these feelings and free up this energy um, and the healing takes place because the, your witness has no judgment and has no shame. So in that way, I think yoga is very powerful. I've had people come to class and they start crying, you know, emotions and things surface. And, mm -hmm. and they don't want to come back to class because they can't yet deal with those feelings. They're not ready yet, you know. Um, and all my life, I, I've really been projected on, you know, by, uh, you know, mostly men, but uh, not seeing me for who I really was. And I was hiding who I really was anyway, you know, because I didn't want the repeat of that pattern on me. But patterns repeat themselves. They're really hard to break. So you've got to do a lot of deep inner reflective work. And yoga is that inner reflective work. It is about going inward. It's not about a perfect yoga pose at all. I mean, the yogas, the alignment that yoga teaches, the uh, postures are just one of the petals of yoga. You know, there are eight petals or eight limbs of yoga. Um, 
and study is one of them. So study, so it took me to Young, to you know, Robert Johnson, um, and I mentioned how Rob, uh, yeah, how Robert Johnson had, I found these books, he and she, when I was quite young, living in New York, and they were tiny little books on the masculine and feminine psyche that he didn't even know would become such successful books. And they were just lectures that he gave, so to speak. And he uses myth to explain, you know, the journeys that we take. And the, I was like psyche in the underworld, <laughs> you know. Um, and then he wrote a book called We. And so I got that book too. I need to read that book again. I just pulled it out of my, my shelf. But we need to, as you grow, you have deeper understanding of these things that you read when you were much younger. Have you found that the projections have changed over the years? Or are they still coming in the same way for They men? still come in the same way. And you can see it when a man walks into the studio. It's like, you know, I, I can see immediately the unmet person within him, the, un, the wounded fam, female, you know, looking for it in somebody else. So I see that and um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So in the movie world, that's one of the things I had to leave that business because it's all about projection there. Was it harder in the was it worse in the movie world than in fashion or in any or in theater? I think it was worse, worse in the movie world, and in the theater I found this there's so much alcohol uh, drinking going to the pubs after the theater. In in the theater, there's a lot of that, you know, just release after a play where you just people go and drink. Yeah. Yeah. So Alan Watts tells the story of um, you know how how to. Yoga is so much about the mental too, and and how we've been too educated in our society and walking about. I I use the image of Medusa with all these snakes coming out of her mm -hmm. head, all these thoughts coming out, and most of them useless. Sixty thousand thoughts going through our head every day, and so yoga teaches us to discern which matter, which don't, and how to thin out these thoughts, and have spaces between the thoughts, take a pause, you know, take a breath. And Alan Watts says that you, when we're so much in our thoughts, we can't be in reality, we're not in reality. When there's no thoughts, you hear body, mind, and soul. That's reality. And then he chimes the singing bowl like that. And he goes, now that's reality. Because that, you follow the sound, it takes you, connects you to your essence, your soul, the spirit, the infinite being within. And uh, he also said yoga is on the forefront of psychology because the body doesn't lie, right? So we have negative thoughts. We make ourselves sick with our mental. It goes into the body. We pull ourselves crooked with stress, with thoughts. Make ourselves sick with worry. All these things that yoga um, teaches us, no, there's another way. You can be happy in this lifetime. I think the Dalai Lama said, uh, life is much shorter than you think, so don't waste, don't waste it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, 
I heard about the horrible chemical warfare that's gone on in Syria again today. And you know, you're not separate. As a yogi, your heart's open. You feel it all. You've, you're connected to nature. I, I see all the stuff that's going on in the world. The animal research. You know, I was very active against animal research. Arrested, breaking into UCLA, stuff like that when I was younger. Um, trying to expose the horrors, you know, that go on. And when I was very young, my girlfriend at Royal Ballet School was Polish, and her family had been in Auschwitz and or had lost their children in Auschwitz. And one woman I remember, I met her, and she had white, white hair, and I was told. Her hair went white overnight when they killed her children in front of her. You know, so all of that really did affect my life, and I did become very political. I was at the first Green Party uh, moving here, um, me meeting here in Ojai, and we started seven of us to register the Green Party in Ojai, uh, in California, mm. and then it spread. But you know. The world's not ready for spiritual spiritual politics yet. It's just not ready. They're not ready for. Um, I think there has to be a lot more suffering. Like in AA, you really have to hit bottom yeah. before you heal. You know, that's so in many ways Trump is this heal, uh, hitting bottom, because it's forcing a lot of people to to come up and fight for what's right, instead of going back into this fascism and way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. So yoga to me is holistic. It's not just, it's politics, it's nature, it's, you know, your body, it's everything. Have you always been a vegetarian? Are you a vegetarian? Vegan? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, since I was 18 years old. I am. Um, and when I, in New York, uh, James Diodamo was my doctor in Brooklyn. He's a chiropractor. He's, he was quite famous. He, my ex-husband wrote his book, One Man's Food is Another Man's Poison. And um, he said, you've got to eat meat. You're O-type blood. You've got to have protein morning, lunch, dinner. I said to him, I can't. You know, eating anything with a face, there's no way I'm going to do that. And it's proved to me to be very healthy, to be vegetarian. I have more energy than most people I know. I stop getting sick. Mm -hmm. um, people go, I, I'm, I've been a vegetarian, I got so weak. I say, well look at gorillas, elephants, um, what's the other animals that, that are so big, cows, they eat grass. They get their protein from chlor chlorophyll, from the greens, from and then as Leakey, you know, the famous anthropologist, sociologist, he goes right, starts right in our mouth, why we aren't meat eating. We don't have fangs like tigers or rip meat apart. We don't have claws to rip meat apart. We don't have the, a short digestive tract that makes the meat go out quickly. We have a long digestive tract. So there's a lot of people getting colon cancer because the putrefies, the meat putrefies in the colon, you know, it's just, it doesn't leave the body soon enough. Anyway, so for health reasons, um, not to eat meat, but to eat 
those people that are weak, they're not eating the right food, you know, they're not getting their nutrients, nutrients from the really powerful greens and um, seeds, sprouted seeds, avocados, I don't know. Yeah, it's very possible to eat very unhealthily as a vegetarian as very, well. Yeah, yeah, the so. health food store is full of unhealthy food. And, you know, a lot of health food stores now are corporate mm-hmm. too, so got to be really careful yoga's become corporate everything is being you know, corporatized these days yeah i love that you your yoga studio is kept so sort of small and intimate and the way you run it is so small and intimate yeah it's really nice people come from the city and they go where can we find a yoga studio like this you know because it's because of that yeah <laughs> that's wonderful thank you so much namaste Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Ingrid Bolting. We have many wonderful conversations coming up in the next few weeks with artists, writers, and fashion textile designers. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at ladyworld.tv and on our newsletter. See you next week.